Uh, now, if you can, please stand for the reading of the word, which will be done by Caleb Nyborg, who's one of our young adults. Today, I'll be reading Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the whole over the whole earth, the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be with you here today. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know. Uh, I am not a car person. I drive a 2005 Honda Accord that is has like 200,000 miles on it and it is slowly but surely falling apart. Um, in part because it's just getting old uh, and also in part because I don't take care of it the way that I should. See, when, when you know, it starts making weird noises or doing strange things, my immediate thought is, oh, this is gonna cost a lot of money. There's gonna be a lot of work to get to the mechanic or you know, try and figure this out. Uh, and I just don't wanna do that. I don't wanna spend that money. So I'll just ignore it and it'll probably go away. That always works out very well for me. Um, but there was, there was one issue that I've been having over the last couple of years, and, and uh, maybe a year and a half, and I was having an issue with my, my shifter on my cord. And so what happened was there came a time where I was trying to shift into park or, or shift into uh, drive or reverse or whatever, and, and, and the, the button wouldn't press all the way in. And so I eventually found there was kind of a, a manual release that I could use to get it into park or to get it into reverse as, as needed. Um, but it was a little bit concerning. And then there were times where I just started realizing like, I just got to push it hard. Uh, and so there are times where I'm, I'm sitting in a parking lot for like 10 minutes trying to get this thing in so I can get my car into park so you know, I can go on with my day. And, and so I just kind of ignored that for a while until one day I shifted into drive and all of a sudden something shot out of the, the shifter and it was this little silver button piece to it. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is a problem. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I get to the place I'm going and I got my, my foot on the brake and I like pull the e-brake, the car's on because I can't shift it into park. And I'm looking around, I find the little button. I'm like, I hope this works. And I put it in and sure enough, it will shift into park. And I'm like, all right, well, we're good. I can do this for a while. And so that was what I did for a while. And quite often it would just pop out while I'm driving and I would get to a place and have to go and find it. And then even that started sticking and having difficulties and challenges. And, and so eventually got to a point where I had, I had pushed it in, uh, got it to drive and I'm driving, but the, I could see the button wasn't coming out the way it was supposed to. And, and so I finally, I get to my location and I pull into the parking spot. And again, I got my foot on the brake. I got the e-brake on and I'm like trying to get this little button out because it won't shift into park from where it's at. And, and so I'm like slapping the thing and hitting it really hard. Cause that's always good for your car. And, uh, 
and, and I'm smacking it, and finally the thing comes out, but I see these little pieces that were on the edge all just break off, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, that's a problem. And so I try putting it back in, and nothing is happening. And so eventually I go, and uh, I, I'm, I'm like in my car. I'm supposed to be coaching a soccer practice. I call my assistant coach. I'm like, hey, I'm in the parking lot, but I don't know how long I'm going to be here because... I can't get my car to get into park. And, uh, and so eventually I find on YouTube that you can actually just, you, you know, you can get your finger in there and you can find the piece and you can push it down. And so I'm like, all right, well, so I get into park and, uh, and, and call my wife. I'm like, hey, I, I, I'm at the school. I don't know if I'm going to be able to actually get home, but I think I can uh, just using the same method. And so sure enough, I, I make it home and I get home and I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to see how much a new shifter would actually cost me because I'm sure it's crazy expensive and I don't know what I'm going to do, but like, I guess I have to at this point because I'm not going to spend all my time like getting my finger trying to find the piece in that way. And, and so I look online and it's like $15. <laughs> Amazon Prime, there the next day. I'm like, okay. That's fine. But then I'm like, okay, but now I actually got to put it on there. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to have to get it towed somewhere and have someone like take this. And, you know, it's got to be a difficult thing. Like it's the shifter. It's pretty important. And, um, and, and so, uh, so I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking online. I find a YouTube video. And, and here's what you do in an 05 Honda Accord to change the shifter. Um, you, undo, you unscrew two screws. You pull the piece off. You put the new one on. And you screw in two screws. It took me two minutes, not even joking, two minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I, I'm here for all of your mechanical problems and issues. I spent, I'm not even kidding. I spent years being frustrated with this piece on my car and not wanting to deal with it because I assumed that the work was going to be too hard, too difficult, too costly. And I decided I'll just do it my way and force it through because that's going to be better. Hopefully you're smarter than I am. It's not a high bar. <laughs> and you've never been in that position, but maybe you've been in a position where you've done the hard thing when there was an easy way available to you. Maybe there was a time where you had the instructions to something and you're like, I don't need these. I can build this on my own. And hours later, you're like, what is happening? This doesn't look the way it's supposed to. And you go to the instructions, you're like, oh, if I had done step three, this would have been done three hours ago. Maybe you took directions. You said, I know how to get there. And you threw the directions away and you didn't pay attention to your GPS and you didn't realize that there was an accident and you could have avoided that very simply, but instead you got stuck in hours of traffic. Maybe you didn't do the, uh, the, the wrong thing or maybe you just, uh, sorry, maybe you didn't do the difficult thing. Maybe you just did the wrong thing, right? Like maybe you showed up to a, a family dinner and you spent hours working on the main dish and you brought the main dish and your family was like, hey, on the text thread, you just said you were gonna pick up some chips but thanks for bringing a second main dish for us. Guess we appreciate that. Maybe your wife wanted a bathroom redone and, and she'd been asking you to, to, to redo the bathroom and, and you're thinking, uh, you know, you're pushing off, you're pushing off and finally she's like gone for a week and you're like, okay, I'll take this time and I'll surprise her and you tear the bathroom up and you get all the new stuff and you, you put it all in there and, and you have it all done. She comes home, she's like, wow, babe, that's really nice, but I actually meant the other bathroom. And no, that didn't happen to me if I tried redoing the bathroom, the whole house would fall apart. Uh, but here's the thing, sometimes we do that, right? We, we do the difficult task when there's an easy one available, or we just do the wrong task. We try and do things our way instead of paying attention to the instructions, the directions. And, and we do this in our walk with Jesus all the time. We try and live our lives our way, according to our will, according to our desires. 
And oftentimes it gets us into more of a mess than if we had just done things God's way in the first part. If we'd just done things God's way the first time. You know, so often we don't pay attention to scripture because we think, I know how to live as a follower of Christ. I know how to live my life and I'm gonna live it my way rather than living it God's way. We do the wrong work. Or we think, hey, I'm trying to build for God's kingdom, but I'm not paying attention to his instructions. And so we're doing it incorrectly. Or we just think, you know what? God's way seems really hard and challenging. So I'm gonna do things my way because surely that's better than God's way. And we miss out on experiencing the life that God has for us because we're trying to live it in a way that it was never meant to be lived. In a way that it was never intended for us. And we do this as we try and build God's kingdom because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be builders. But what we need to remember is that we exist to make fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, not to build our own kingdom. In other words, we exist to build God's kingdom, not our own kingdom, and not the kingdom of this world. But this is something that people have been getting wrong from the very beginning. We get it wrong all the time and it's been happening from the very beginning. And we've actually already seen this at play in our series in the beginning as we're studying Genesis. See, in, the, in week one of our series, we, we saw that the question we need to answer is who is this all about? And it's all about God. It's all about the God who was there in the beginning, the one true God. All of scripture, all of our lives, all of creation is all about him. And we need to make sure that we center our lives on him. Week two, we saw that God is a good creator and he created a good world. In week three, we saw that God created man and woman in his image. We are made in the image of God, made to be his image bearers, to point all of creation to his glory. And then week four, we saw how sin messed everything up. Week five, we saw how anger and blame and not taking responsibility can lead to division amongst one another and even division between us and God. And then last week, we looked at Noah's story and we saw the way God used Noah for a new beginning, his mercy and grace towards Noah as he judged the sin of the world, but said, Noah, I'm gonna use you to be a vessel to build my kingdom here on this earth as it is in heaven. And so we come to Genesis chapter 11. This is just a couple of generations after Noah's family. And you would think, surely they're gonna get it right. I mean, global flood, we see the flood wipes everything out. We see God's wrath, his power, his judgment on display. We also see his mercy and grace. Surely everyone is 100% committed to him and not doing anything wrong. Well, Genesis 11, verse one. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. You know, I would have preferred that in high school instead of having to take Spanish class if we all just had one language and a common speech. That would have been nice. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. All right, so it starts out and it doesn't seem like anything really terrible is happening. All the people have, have language in common. They're all together. There's some unity there. That's good. And they just start moving eastward. That's okay. And they settle in a place. It seems like no big deal there. But what I want us to understand is they're actually settling for second best. They're settling in a place that they weren't meant to stay in. They're settling by saying, this looks good to us. This looks comfortable. This looks appealing. And so we'll live based on our own desires. We'll live based on our ways rather than pursuing the complete fulfillment of God's promises. Rather than living out his plan and his purpose for our lives. They were settling by pursuing their idea of what was best rather than pursuing God's idea of what was best. And we do this all the time in small ways and in big ways. 
We look at God's commands, we look at his promises, we look at the way he calls us to live, and we think, uh, I can do that sometimes, but other times it's too hard, other times it's too challenging. Something as simple as being at, at weekly worship, attending church on Sunday, how many times do we get up and, and, and wake up in the morning, we think, you know what, I'm just going to hit the snooze button and go back to sleep. I can skip church today, it's not that important, not that significant. And yet God tells us, don't give up meeting together. It's not good for you to be alone. You need one another. The church needs to be the complete body. And so if we believe the word of God, then we believe that we are settling for second best every time we decide to just sleep in on a Sunday or watch a game or do something on our own. Every time that we treat prayer as a chore and we ignore it and push it off until you know, we really need it, we're settling for what's second best. Every time that God calls us to love, every time that God calls us to go, every time that God calls us to start something, and we say, but I'm comfortable. I'm happy where I'm at. We're settling for what's second best. And when we settle for our own ways, when we settle for what's second best, we also are going to end up settling for disobedience and living in disobedience. And that's what's happening here. It says that the people, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so here what we see is the people have settled for what's second best. And they're living in disobedience to God. They're literally saying, let's make a name for ourselves. Rather than pointing to God's glory. See, God is jealous for his name. His name is to be glorified. And yet here we see people saying, hey, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make something that glorifies us. Let's make something that lifts us up. See, even as you look at the, the tower they were building, the tower is not what we would think of as, you know, a skyscraper, a tower that we would think of today, but it was a ziggurat, which is uh, more of a pyramid shape. And so you can literally see on the outside as it looks like a stairway that is bringing them closer and closer to the heavens. They're pursuing their own glory. They're trying to lift themselves up. As a matter of fact, Moses, who is authoring the book of Genesis, he gives us some warning signs about how far away they have come and what they're really doing here. It says in verse three, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And then in verse four, they say, come, let us build ourselves a city. Now that language should kind of trigger our ears. It should make us pay attention because we've seen that language used. In the creation story, it's used by God in his divine counsel. God within the Trinity, he says, come, let us make man in our own image. And so the language here, as a matter of fact, we're gonna see God use this exact same language in just a couple of verses here. And so what this is actually telling us is not just that people were collaborating, not that they were just seeking wise counsel, but they're literally trying to be like God in a way they were never intended to be. They're saying, come, let's do this thing that glorifies us in the way God said, come, let us do something that glorifies himself. And so they're trying to bring glory to their own name to lift themselves up rather than lifting God up, than proclaiming his name, his truth. They're building their own kingdom rather than building God's kingdom. And they're doing it in a way that is painful, that is difficult. When it says that they used bricks instead of stone, stone was easier to come by. 
It was readily available. It was cheaper. It would have made the process a lot simpler. But instead, they said, we're going to do it the right way, right? We're going to build this tower in a way that is strong and sturdy and looks like all the other big, powerful towers of our time. And so we're going to do this at great cost to ourselves. And we're going to do this with great difficulty and challenge. They're doing the wrong thing the hardest way possible. They're so devoted to being in sin that they're saying, we'll pay a great price to make it happen. We'll take the time needed to make it happen. And so they're building for their own glory, which clearly is the greatest sin here, but they're also directly living in disobedience to the command of God. Why do they want to do this? Why do they want to build a tower? Well, it keeps them planted. It keeps them rooted. It keeps them protected. And they literally say, we need to build this tower. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to be scattered. What's the problem? Genesis chapter 9, verse 7. God's command to his people. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. In other words, scatter across the earth. God literally tells them, hey, your job is to build one another up, send each other out, and show all of creation that I am the one true king. And here the people are saying, let's get comfortable. Let's get cozy. Let's settle into this place. Let's build a tower for ourselves so that we can make our names great. Let's huddle together. Let's have this holy huddle and stay isolated from everything else. And this can be a temptation that we face in church. That we do the right thing for the wrong reasons and it becomes the wrong thing. Because so often we, we come as Christians and we think, hey, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to go to two different Bible studies. I'm going to have a discipleship group a couple different days and, and meet with someone who's going to disciple me. And I'm going to listen to Christian music and read Christian literature. And I'm only going to watch Christian TV. And, and, and suddenly, all of a sudden, we, we find that we don't even know what a non-Christian looks like. Sometimes we just get scared of the outside world. And so, so we think if we just huddle together and protect ourselves, then nothing bad will happen to us. Sometimes it's, it's good intentions. We know that we need to be discipled. We know that we need to grow. We know that our faith needs to be strengthened, but we get so caught up in ourselves that we never reach out to others. How can we be a light in the darkness if we never see the darkness? See, we, we are called to build up and to be sent out, to go into the world and be a light for Jesus. That means interacting with people who don't agree with us, who don't think like us, who don't act like the, we think they should act. And we do it with the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so the people decided to settle in this one place to build a tower for their own glory and to ignore the commands of God. And here's God's response in verse five. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. I love this because you see the direction of what's happening here. Everyone is trying to build up and God still has to come down. See, they thought they were building this massive, glorious, amazing, wonderful tower that would show the world how incredible they were. Look how big and how tall and how mighty this tower is. And God's looking down. He's like, oh, that's a cute little project they got going on. Let me come all the way down to them so that I can see this project, so I can see this building. 
You know, you ever look at a, a tall tower on, on Google Earth or, or maybe see pictures from, uh, from satellites or, or from uh, of the Earth itself, right? You see and you look and you're like, oh, it looks so small, it looks so insignificant when you look at it from a great distance. And that's how God was looking at this tower, was looking at this project, saying, you can't build up to me. You can't build up to my glory. I still have to come down to you. But here's the thing. Here's what they were missing. God is willing to come down to them. They're trying to build up to get God's glory. And God's like, if you had been about my glory, I would come down to you and give you everything you needed. And then some. See, this is what happens in Genesis chapter 3 as well, right? The serpent convinces Eve to reach up and take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But God was her knowledge. God was her wisdom. God would have given her direction and guidance that she needed. And she chose to take rather than to receive. A few thousand years later, we would see that the religious leaders and those who had been led astray, that they were trying to take, they were trying to build themselves up to God's level. They were doing it through obedience. If I'm really good at following the law, I'm really good at following the rules. If I go to church a bunch of times, I give a lot, I serve at a bunch of mission trips, I lead a bunch of Bible studies, if I do a bunch of things, then surely I can be like God. I can, I can receive some of his glory. I can be good enough for him. And God looks down and says, oh, that's cute what you're trying there. But it's not enough. You're not even getting close. But the good news of the gospel is that we don't need to build up, but God comes down to us. See, in that time, Jesus stepped down from eternity and came to dwell with his creation, with his image bearers, to be a light, and then to give his life as a sacrifice so that our sin is paid for because we can't pay that price on our own. And he's saying, you don't need to. I got you covered. Stop trying to do the work that's already been done for you. Live in freedom, live in obedience to him, living his ways, building his kingdom, not our own. And so it says, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And here we see a moment where God is saying, my plans are not going to be stopped. My plans are not going to be thwarted. I'm going to send you into the places I want you to go. I'm going to lead you into being fruitful and multiplying across the earth. Because see, God understood that the human language had become a language of sin. That together, all they were doing now was trying to glorify one another, trying to glorify themselves and, and collaborating to sin. And he says, no, 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 we're not having that. See, together, they may never come to God, but apart, he knew that they might just come to him. They might just receive his grace. They might just live out his promises. Receive the joy and the blessing that he had in store for them but he had to do the work of sending them, of separating them. You know, imagine if I want to take my kids to Disneyland, I want it to be a surprise trip. And they're sitting in there watching TV and I say, all right, kids, we got to get in the car. We're going to go on a trip. I got a, a really fun thing planned for us. Nah, dad, we're okay. We just want to watch TV. No, trust me, you don't want to watch TV. Like you want to do what I'm asking you to do. No, we're good. We're just going to watch TV. What would I do in that moment? I could just ignore it and say, fine, we're not going to Disneyland. But I would never do that because I want to go to Disneyland. 
No, so instead, I'm going to turn the TV off, and if I need to, I'm going to pick my kids up, and I'm going to put them in the car, and I'm going to buckle them in, and I'm going to drive really fast so they can't get out, and when we get to Disneyland, I'm going to be like, see, I told you, now you stay in the car because I'm going in and you don't get this. No, I'm going to bring them along, and I'm going to bring, like, literally pick them up and carry them into the car to get them on this trip, to let them receive this reward, this joy, this blessing that I had for them. And this is what God's doing in this moment. He's saying, you're missing out. You're settling for what's second best. And so if I need to be the one to send you, then I'll do it. Rather than seeing the judgment come, God's grace is here in this moment. He said, I'm giving you another chance and I'm removing barriers so that you can see my promises lived out in your life. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so we have this moment where language has been confused and the people have been scattered, actually going in to live out the plans and the purpose that God has for them. But there comes a time later where this isn't good enough. There comes a time where confused language just isn't going to work. And so in Acts chapter two, we find this moment where Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen again, he's ascended into heaven and he promised the Holy Spirit would come. And there's this moment in Acts chapter two where the Spirit comes on the disciples and here's what happens in Acts chapter two, starting in verse five. It said, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. And so here in this moment, when in Genesis chapter 11, the language of man has been confused and man has been scattered. When God's message needs to be proclaimed, the people are once again brought together. And the word is given clearly and concisely so that all can understand. See, here's the moment where they're speaking, they're proclaiming the message of Jesus. And because they're proclaiming his message and not their own, God allows them to speak with one voice that all the people can hear and understand. See, we are supposed to be about proclaiming his message, about building his kingdom. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 28, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives these words to his disciples and they are words for us today. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus tells his followers, you've been built up. You know who I am. Now go and make disciples. Go and be a light in the darkness. Go and build my kingdom. Go and make fully committed followers of me. Don't live for your own glory. Don't live for the glory of this world, but live for my glory, pointing people to me. That's what we're supposed to be about. 
proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, building his kingdom in our lives and in the world around us. And so I want to ask you, whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom are you building? Is it yours? Is it the world's? Or is it God's kingdom? What do your actions demonstrate? What does your life demonstrate? Where do you go for security? Where's your identity? Where's your hope? Whose kingdom are you building? And whose message are you proclaiming? Are you proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ? Proclaiming him as Lord, proclaiming him risen, king, savior. Proclaiming the love, acceptance, forgiveness of Jesus. Or are you proclaiming something else? Are you proclaiming the message of a political party? Or the message of a country? Or the message of any other thing other than Jesus? Because here's the thing. If we're building our own kingdom, or we're building the kingdom of this world, or the kingdom of anything other than God's glory, then we're living in sin and we're settling for what is second best. If we're proclaiming any message under, other than Jesus Christ, risen, King, Lord, then we're wasting our breath. But when we build his kingdom and we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, we proclaim his love, acceptance, and forgiveness for the world, then we are doing something that can have an eternal impact. And so I just want you to think right now, what would happen if we get this right? I mean, look around. There's a lot of people in this room. If every single one of us commits our lives to being kingdom builders, to proclaiming the message of Jesus, how different would our church be in one year from now? How different might our families be? Our places of work, our schools, our communities, our city, our state, our country, our world. Because if just this room gets this right, says we're going to build for his glory, we're going to proclaim his message, there's no telling what God will do through that. So church, I think God has great things in store for Christ Community Church. But it starts with each of us centering our lives on him and saying, we're going to be all about you. And then going into the world and being the light of the world by building his kingdom and proclaiming his message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word for the truth that is in it. We give you thanks for your grace and your mercy. God, that when we need discipline, you give it, you provide it. When we need doors to close so that we can see the open door that you have for us, you do that. God, we thank you that your plans and your purpose for us are bigger than our sin. That you will live those out in our lives even when we don't see, even when we don't desire, even when we don't see the need for it. God, help us to see that your ways are always better, to see that your plans are always better, and to live for you, not living for ourselves, building your kingdom, proclaiming your message. God, we thank you that you include us in that. We thank you that you have made the message of the gospel clear and easy to understand so that we can receive it and we can share it with others. So God, help us have the boldness and the courage 
to build your kingdom. God, give us favor as a church as we go into our communities, into our areas of influence to be pastors and point people to you. God, would you give us success, give us strength, give us courage as we do that. We love you, Father. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.